What if you had a job and your job was to be a torturer? Like you had to torture people, right? It's weird. But if that were my job and I had to pick the torture device, one that I would pick would be depression. I went through a season of it and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And if I had to, if I didn't have that and I had to pick a second one, I'd pick hiccups. I had unrelenting hiccups for 24 hours. It was the worst thing in the world. I would have confessed to anything. Just make it stop. We're going to be reading Psalm 88. And the essence of Psalm 88 is about depression and hopelessness and and loneliness. And if you're going through this type of darkness, it can feel like torture or like you're being tortured. David Pallison is an author. He says about Psalm 88 that this is the basement of the Psalms, the darkest of the dark. This Psalm deals with the messy reality that life can feel and get this way that we're about to read. So whether you are, have gone through, are currently gone through, or you're ministering to somebody who is going through a dark time, my prayer and hope this morning is that this scripture will minister to you. So let's pray. God, thank you for uh, this beautiful day. Thank you that we could gather here together as a body. Thank you that we can look at your word and be ministered to it deeply. I pray that, uh, that all of our hearts would be impacted uh, by these words of Psalm 88 and the fulfillment that Jesus brings of them. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I like to use the New English translation. I know we typically use ESV here. Uh, but since I'm preaching, I guess I get to pick, right? So we're going to be using the New English translation for Psalm 88. So if you want to pull out your phone and read along with me, it's not that much different than ESV, but I am going to be reading from Psalm 88, New English translation. So there is actually a preamble here that's kind of important to this Psalm. And it's unfortunate that it doesn't have a verse number, but it's basically verse zero. And it says this, a song, a Psalm written by the Kurahites. For the director of music, according to the Makalef Lenioth style, a well-written song by Heman the Ezrite. Verse 1. O Lord God who delivers me, by day I cry out and at night I pray before you. Listen to my prayer. Pay attention to my cry for help. For my life is filled with troubles and I am ready to enter Sheol. They treat me like those who descend into the grave. I am a helpless man, adrift among the dead, like the corpses lying in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your power. You place me in the lowest regions of the pit, in the dark places, in the watery depths. Your anger bears down on me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. You cause those who know me to keep their distance. You make me an appalling sight to them. I am trapped and I cannot get free. My eyes are weak because of oppression. I call out to you, O Lord, all day long. I spread out my hands to you in prayer. Do you accomplish amazing things for the dead? Do the departed spirits rise up and give you thanks? 
Is your loyal love proclaimed in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of the dead? Are your amazing deeds experienced in the dark region or your deliverance in the land of oblivion? As for me, I cry out to you, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer confronts you. O Lord, why do you reject me and pay no attention to me? I am oppressed and I have been on the verge of death since my youth. I have been subjected to your horrors and I am numb with pain. Your anger overwhelms me. Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They join forces and encircle me. You cause my friends and neighbors to keep their distance. Those who know me leave me alone in darkness. If you look on your outline, we're going to be covering this scripture in four sections. In our first section, verses 1 through 5, our author begins by lamenting about his current state. And this is not how he dreamed a life would go. Now, I mentioned that preamble was important. And I think it's important because it tells us a little bit about this psalm and some of the background. See, the guy that wrote this, his name is right in there. His name is Heman the Ezrite. And he's actually mentioned several times in First Chronicles. And listen to this. This is First Chronicles 15, verse 16 and 17. We'll hear a little bit about his background. It says, David, this is King David, also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps, lyres, and cymbals to raise shouts of joy. So the Levites appointed Heman, son of Joel. So this guy was chosen to be the leader of the worship team and to sing songs of praise to God. So I'm guessing that he didn't get fired from his job because he, this, this made it into the Psalter. But I'm guessing that he did not want to go through this experience. But even though he does, he starts off in verse 1 with a true and affirming and a hopeful statement. O Lord, who delivers me? And he's praying day and night, crying out for help. That's how it starts. So why is he crying out for help? Well, he goes on to tell us. He says in verse 3 that his life is filled with troubles and he's near Sheol. So he feels like he's about ready to die. In verse 4, he feels ignored and helpless like a corpse in the grave. Nobody goes, has a relationship with a corpse in the grave. You don't talk to them. They're not there. And he feels like God has has treated him like that way too. In verse 5, so he's alone and forgotten by God. What does this mean? I think one important thing that this means is that life can get this way. Even if your job is to be the main worship leader and you're given the task to sing songs of praise and joy to God. This guy is in bad shape and life is not going the way he expected. You know, I I kind of imagine like, him writing the psalm down and going to this experience and then bringing his manuscript to his other singers and say, hey, can you read this? What do you think? The potential shame of him opening up uh, and sharing this with them. I'm really glad that he did, though, because 
If this can happen to him, it can happen to anyone, whether you're a believer or not. So have you ever gone through a dark season where you can resonate with what this guy is writing? Have you faced a dark time in life? For me, what I, when I, to answer that question, I think many years ago that I went through a very dark season and it began on a strange, the day was normal, but the events were very strange and that kicked off this season. But I, I was having a normal day and about lunchtime, I felt like the, the bottom of life just dropped out. I don't know what happened, but it was very scary. I cared about nothing. I felt alone and all I wanted to do was escape out of whatever was happening to me. Maybe go live on the beach of Mexico or I don't know. I just had to get away from the situation. Now, thankfully, the Lord helped me through that season. And it took a long time. Uh, some at more, more acute at the beginning. But he helped me through that season of depression, which I realized later on that's what I was struggling with. Now, in hindsight, I can see some of the factors that led up to that. And uh, I don't know if you know, but I work in campus ministry. I have a work over at Penn State. And in our ministry to students, we have lots of events. We're trying to reach as many people as possible, help minister to them and their, their hearts, uh, minds, and their souls. And for a long time, I thought I was doing the right thing by being concerned, when really I was just full of anxiety on the inside. How many people came and, and did they listen or will they come back and, and did they like the message and are we reaching more people? Is this worth it at all to do this? Struggling. And on top of that, a kind of anxiety, I just have normal anxiety. Well, what about all the things that happened in the past week that were wrong that I could go back and fix? And what about all the things that are going to potentially happen in the future? And I'm constantly worried, constantly filled with anxiety. I had little kids, back pain, low sleep, and struggling. And to give you another insight into me, and I hope this is helpful to you, I could never say in my life that I gave it my best shot or I did my best because I felt like saying that would be a lie. I could always do better. I could always tweak things to make it better. And I thought I was doing all the right things. And then the bottom fell out. Again, it was scary. And I did not know what was going on. And through that dark season that happened, uh, my best worship of God at times was just being raw. Raw with God. Or just asking God, help. Help me. I don't know what is going on. And all I want to do is escape. Life can get this way. Life can feel like verse 4, where you say, I am a helpless man adrift among the dead. Who cares about me? So what do we do if we find ourselves in this situation? Well, we got to do what this guy does. We respond by crying out for help. So even though it feels like maybe this guy is ready to quit, that God doesn't care. He's still crying out 
for help. And this, again, is what we should do. And God has provided us two main avenues of where we can direct our attention for help. One is himself, and two is other people. So God himself, verse 1, is God your God who delivers you? Do you cry out for help from him? Consider that if you were lost in the woods by yourself, but you knew that there was a rescue party out there somewhere looking for you, you wouldn't stop crying out for help. I'm over here. Help. Until they found you. Now, of course, God knows where we are, but we don't know why he has us in this position. There's got to be some reason why he's allowing us to go through this. He wants us to cry to him as our rescuer. He doesn't want us to go to other rescuers or false hopes. We tend to do this. I know I tend to do this. We run to food, stuff online, gossip. One thing that I struggle with is being busy. Just try to do more activity to hide from the pain. I don't want to be desperate. I don't want to be weak. But God wants me and maybe he wants you to be desperate so that you cry out to him for help. So are you crying out like a helpless man? Again, in verse 4. Perhaps you have to say, God, help me. I don't even know how to pray. I know that you are a rescuer, so please come and rescue me. I don't feel like I have the strength to carry on. Remember, the psalmist here feels like he's about ready to die. But he's praying to the God who will deliver him, and he's praying day and night. So cry out to God. The other avenue that God has provided is other people. And so if you're struggling with dark times, with depression or loneliness or hopelessness, please, I encourage you to open up to a trusted friend, particularly where you can get godly counsel. So please talk to any of the elders here. You can talk to me, talk to any other leaders here, talk to your growth group leader. Please seek out godly and wise counsel. And one of the misconceptions of this topic of depression that I want to dispel is that it's only a spiritual issue. Some people think that. But it can also be a physical, physiological, or other type of issue where you do need help. So like if you cut your arm and you're bleeding, you go to the ER. You don't just grunt it through like, eh. Like you go and get help. And so when you're struggling with depression, perhaps you need to go to the doctor. And if it gets bad enough where you're thinking even suicidal thoughts, then you are in desperate need of help. And maybe you even need to call 911. But cry out for help. Do not just persevere. It is not a shameful thing to struggle. Remember, this happens to the worship leader. It can happen to us. And God is doing it for some reason, but he has provided himself and other people as means of places we can cry out to for help. And so even though life may not be going the way that you think, as just like the author here, he has provided himself and others. Now, as we go on to point number two, we might think that things are going to get a little bit better 
in terms of this guy's perspective. Um, but sorry, it's not. If you were to ask people, is the devil good or bad? Probably most people would say bad. And if you were to ask people, is God good or bad? Most people would probably say good. Now, I don't know what Heman would say. Is God good or bad? Because if you look at verses 6 through 9, you can see pretty much every, uh, the first word of every sentence is you. God, you did this to me. You put me in the pit. Verse 7, he says, you overwhelm me with your waves. So it's like God is drowning him. You cause my friends to keep their distance. In verse 8. Now, this is very significant. He is realizing here that God is sovereign. And he can do whatever he wants. And he says in verse 8, I'm trapped. This is very unnerving. So what does he do? What do we do? We want to hide from God because we don't like what is happening and like what we think he's doing to us. But yet at the same time, he's our only rescuer. So we're trapped. We're stuck. What do we do? Well, we have to do what this guy does. Again, he prays in verse 9. All day long, he says he prays. He is not going to give up. And the fact that he engages God, even at this moment, I think is another amazing aspect of this psalm. He is in great pain, yet cries out to God for help. And I think his prayer reflects his trust in God's ultimate goodness. And if I were to paraphrase some of this, the way that I would say it in my own head, and maybe you would too, is that, God, I don't like this very much. I don't even like you very much. But in somehow, some way, in some plausible means in the universe, you're going to use this for good. And I know that you are a rescuer. We do not like being trapped and faced with God's sovereignty, especially when we think we think that we're the ones in control of our own lives. The truth is, we have no other options. God is sovereign. And so what we need to do is we need to engage God when we feel like pulling away from him. So a few things, the way that this looks like is that if you don't feel like praying, you should pray and say, God, I don't feel like praying right now. Help me. If you don't want to read your Bible, I bet Heman didn't want to read his Bible. Open your Bible and start reading. Read Psalm 88. You'll be in good company. Perhaps engaging God means dealing with your own pride and repenting because you thought life should be this certain way or that you are really the one in control of your life when you're really not. You do not have all the answers. And maybe you're going through this because it's a necessity. God feels like you have to learn these deep lessons. 
So engage God. He may be the last person in the world you want to talk to at this time, but he is your only rescuer. Let's move on to our last section here, verses 10 through 18. So the author was praying, and maybe we're starting to get a little bit of hope. Maybe the plane is coming out of the nosedive. But in these last few verses here, 10 to 18, it's still going to be bad, and it's going to end on a very shocking note. So let's walk through this. Verses 10 through 12. If you see here, you can see there's question marks at the end of each of those verses. And he's appealing to God with some logical questions that I think are very good. But God just doesn't make sense to him. And if I were to paraphrase what he's saying here, he's basically saying, God, I thought that you were for the people who are alive. Aren't you for those who praise you? I mean, if they're dead, they don't do anything to praise you. You should be for the people who are alive. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Especially since my job was to bring shouts of joy. Doesn't make sense. Verse 13 and 14, he's still praying, uh, but it's kind of interesting. He says that his, his uh, prayer is to confront God. If you ever think about your prayers that way. Verse 14, he says, God's not paying attention. Verse 15, he says he's numb with pain. He's had so much pain, he's numb. Again, God, you did this. And then finally, our ending. And we're left with, in verse 18, no friends, no God. Darkness is his only buddy. In fact, in the NIV, it says that darkness is my closest friend is the last sentence or last phrase there. And here in an ESV, the last word is darkness. And that's actually what the last word is in Hebrew. So the original language, this psalm ends with the word darkness, and then the author put the period on it. He doesn't have, but my hope will be in God, or but I will do this. So there's no, there's no contrast there. What does that mean? Well, I think one thing that it means, and this is very important, is that life can get this way, and that being a mess is messy. It's messy. It ends with darkness. What do you do with that? I mean, if you asked me, if you came up to me and said, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, well, you know what? I feel like all my friends abandoned me. God was the one who did it. God, I don't really like God. Maybe I don't even believe in him. Darkness is my closest friend right now. What would you say to me? Would you be tempted to think, what is this guy saying? He's an elder at my church. He's in Christian ministry. He's not allowed to say those things. This is why I love this psalm. It reminds me that no matter who you are or where you are at, you can be a mess. And it's okay. You don't need to paste on a, but I will hope in God, and just put on a smile over top of the darkness. This guy had an important ministry position. And this song was sung in corporate worship of Israel. Don't forget about that either. 
So what does this mean for us? I think two considerations. One is what, when we are the mess and when we're helping other people who are going through a messy situation. First, when we're the mess. It is so easy to forget that we are weak living in a broken world. And most of our instincts say to be strong. When we're going through hard times, people say how it's going. We say good. When we know inside it's not going good. And we're tempted to feel wrong that, that, that we cannot have shame and we cannot struggle. We cannot admit that we are a mess or a wreck. Verse 15, the author says that he has been on the verge of death since youth. That's pretty messy. Yet he was open about his struggle and he didn't feel like he had to paste a smile on top of it. He was real and honest with his messiness. And the comfort he has and the comfort we have is that God knows that we are a mess. A commentator named Derek Kidner said this. He says, The presence of such prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding. God knows how men speak when they are desperate. He knows. So it's okay to admit that you're a mess. God, I am a wreck. God knows that you're desperate. Secondly, what about when we want to minister to others? What if Heman came into your growth group and he said all these things? What would you say in response to him? Would you say, Heman, God works together all good things for good, so just, just believe it. Or just, just something. Just trust God. I don't think that that would minister well to him. When I was struggling through depression and dark times, all of my friends around me had the best of intentions to help me. Some were more helpful than others. On the less helpful end were those who had the perspective, and again, they had well-meaning, the perspective of there's a sin here that we have to, you have to repent of so that you can, you know, fix this situation. I had a lot to repent of. I would even admit that I had a lot to repent of. But that actually was not the main ministry that I needed. The main ministry that, that I received and I needed was to deal with the shame that I felt and to try to make sense of all this craziness that was going on inside of me. And so the friends that came to me and said, it's okay to be a mess. God's not freaking out. I'm not freaking out. I'm here with you right now. And I'm like, really? Minister to me deeply. So when someone around you starts acting strange, maybe things are not adding up, maybe they're really struggling. And they need someone to listen to them and to be by their side and tell them it's okay to be a mess. God's not freaking out. I'm not freaking out either. 
Now, it's hard with mental health struggles to observe them in other people because it's not as evident as physical struggles. And so one thing that I try to remember and to help other people with, if you're thinking about ministering to others with mental health issues, is to look at it as if it were a physical issue. So a few months ago, I had the stomach bug. I was laid up on the couch for a week. My wife didn't come to me and say, just get some more sleep. Or just trust God. No, she said, I'll go get you another bucket. (laughs) I was a mess. And she was okay to say, you're a mess. Stay there until you get better. Encourage the people to not, uh, uh, not to give up that you're ministering to and that it's okay to be a mess. Maybe you need to take them to the doctor or help them out in some other way. But make sure that you know that you can, that they know that you'll be there for them and can listen to them. So we can be a mess. We can help other people that are in a mess. And it's okay to be a mess. But there's one very important thing that is not okay in all of that. It is not okay to give up. To turn your back on God is not okay. That is not an option. One of the, I think, encouraging things of the way that this psalm ends is because it ends in darkness, like the end of the sentence is darkness, and that's, that's the end of the story, is that I think it indicates to us that there's not a quick fix for this level of pain and suffering. And if we think that there is, we need to adjust our perspective. Here is someone deeply struggling, yet they don't give up. In verses 1, 9, and 13, you see this refrain where he keeps coming back to praying. And it's important to realize that for this man here, his feelings are real to him. They're not made up, but they don't define reality. He writes down this poem He keeps fighting to pray. He knows he's a mess, but he doesn't give up. He doesn't turn his back on God. And so no matter how dark your situation, your life may feel, the truth is that it's not complete darkness. There is a light that is piercing through that darkness. And for you, what that might mean as you struggle and fight To hold on is maybe you need to hold on to that last photon that's in the darkness. But it is there. Do not give up. When I was in my darkest of days, one of the things that helped me, because I was such a mess, was to ask myself the question, do I honestly believe life will always be like this, always the same, and never change from this moment on? I'm like, no. Something will change. And that helped me. That was like remedial step one. That got me to step two, which is could possibly, plausibly, God be using this for good? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And then I got to step three where I'm like, okay, now I can start to read my Bible. Yes, God works all things together for good. How could he be using this for good? I don't know. 
I was listening to a, uh, a Tim Keller did a sermon on Psalm 88, and he said a fascinating thing. He said, you know, Heman wrote all this down. He probably had no idea or could even imagine that for centuries later, people would be ministered to by his situation and by his words, and we're even talking about it this morning. So we never know how God is going to use uh, our situation and how he's going to work in us. So do not give up. It's okay to be a mess, but not okay to give up. And this takes us to our final point. And you might be saying, hey, Reese, well, the, the, the text ended here. How could there be another point? Well, that's because even though this is the end of the psalm, it's not the end of the story. We actually have to go back to verse 1 to complete our teaching this morning. Because the way that this starts is so fascinating. He says he's praying to the God who delivers him or the God of his salvation. Jesus, his name means the Lord is salvation or the Lord saves. So Heman here is pointing us ahead to Jesus, the true savior, his savior, our savior. And so we must end looking at Jesus. And when we think of Jesus's life, we know that he lived out Psalm 88. So I'm going to read some scriptures here. So just listen along with me. You don't have to turn there. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, here are some of the scriptures. He says this, Matthew 26, 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He's talking to his uh, disciples. He says, stay here and keep watch with me. Remember what happened? They didn't. They abandoned him. Verse 26, 39. Jesus says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Not, Not as I will, but as you will. Even Jesus found the temptation to want to get away, to escape Yet he holds on and perseveres. Matthew 26, 56. It says that then the disciples deserted and fled him. Jesus experiences being left alone. And perhaps you know the story of even his closest guy, Peter, confronted by the servant girl in the courtyard. What does he do? He was even told about it ahead of time. And he denies Jesus. And he says he calls down curses on himself. I don't know the man. Psalm 88, 8. If you look, verse 8 says, You cause those who know me to keep their distance. You make me an appalling sight to them. Jesus lived this out. Heman, the author of Psalm 88, thought that darkness was his only friend or that he was left alone in the darkness. But that was not true. Jesus was the only one who was abandoned by all. Heman had a savior. Jesus had no one. But you might say, what about his father? He had his father. Psalm 22 verse 1, Jesus quotes it while he's dying on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here Jesus lives out Psalm 88, particularly the last verse that he's left alone in darkness, abandoned by all, even his father. Jesus takes our punishment for the sin that we deserve. He takes our darkness and destroys it on the cross. 
He takes the punishment and he dies and then he's resurrected to new life three days later to show that death and destruction and darkness has been defeated. This is the hope that we need to hold on to. Jesus lives out Psalm 88 and is abandoned by all, left alone in the darkness, so that the worst thing that could happen to you and to me is that we feel like we're in the darkness, not that we're actually left alone in the darkness. We have to hold on to this hope. You know, the Bible says that Jesus had to struggle through this whole situation in Hebrews 12, 3, what, what got him through it? It says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was the joy set before Jesus as he looked ahead enabled him to get through the darkness. And this leads us to our final application here is to embrace God's dream. What was Jesus' dream? The joy set before him to be seated at the right hand of God. Like I said before, I would not wish depression on anyone. I think it's terrible. Yet at the same time, when I look back in hindsight, I see how God was so good to me. And he'll be good to you too. He helped me to realize that my contentment was not with him. It's a lesson I still have to learn. But but my world was shaken and in some places shattered. And where is my hope? Does this happen to you? Is this happening to you now? Where is God rattling you, shaking you, helping you to see that he is your only rescuer? How is he helping you to see Jesus more clearly? Perhaps more clearly today than even yesterday. Looking ahead, embracing his dream of bringing you to a heavenly home. See, we do not uh, like to uh, admit that we are weak and that we need his help And therefore, look ahead to his dream. I have this book called Overcoming Spiritual Depression. And the author says, it is not easy to conclude that we naturally despise being dependent on grace. Because we think we can do it on our own. And so when we're dependent, when we're desperate, we look up. We look for hope. We embrace the dream that God has for us. And that is this. I'll read it. John 14, 1 to 3, Jesus says to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That that where I am, you also may be. So what he's saying here is this is the fulfillment of the dream. He is going to come and get you if you believe in him, if you've followed him with your heart and life. He's going to come get you and bring you to the heavenly home. And this is very important. If you are on fire for God, running that spiritual marathon, you're doing so great in your walk with God. Who's going to rescue you? 
Jesus is still going to come and get you and bring you. You're not going to bring yourself. What if you're on the opposite end of the spectrum? What if you're on a stretcher, barely can pray, yet your hope is in Jesus? He will come and rescue you too and bring you to this heavenly home. Jesus is the rescuer. We have to be dependent on his grace. Embrace his dream that he is the one who is the savior who is going to bring us to this heavenly home. He has destroyed darkness. He has given us hope that we can hold on to. He is the only one who has beaten the darkness swallowed it up in himself so that we could be rescued. Gang, I pray that Psalm 88 has ministered to your hearts here this morning. I know it has to me. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word here. Thank you that it points us to Jesus, that that we can be a mess, we can be a wreck, There are times we go through these sufferings, these dark times. They could be short. They could be long. We do not know. We know we need you. We need you to to rescue us. Please rescue us now. But ultimately, we know that you will rescue us. You say that you will take us and bring us to your heavenly home. Help us to hold on to hope. Help us not to give up. Help us to persevere. Because Jesus did, and he looked ahead. Help us to look ahead. We pray all this in your name. Amen.